Hello, Alyssa. Hi, Clark. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Wordstruck, where we take a fresh look at great books. This season, we're reading Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, and this episode, we're reading chapters 7 and 8. Want to tell us a little bit about what we're reading this week? Chapter 7. Sure. Uh, chapter 7 is the Sorting Hat. So, in this chapter, the first years are sorted into their Hogwarts houses, and when it's Harry's turn, uh, the Sorting Hat tells him that he would do really well in Slytherin, and it sort of pesters him with that, and Harry insists not Slytherin, and ends up in Gryffindor along with his brand new friend Ron and uh, along with the Weasley twins chanting we got Potter yeah so real trophy prize and uh, then Harry sees Snape across the hall and his scar burns and then they go off to bed so it's very short time period that the chapter chapter covers um, and not really a lot, but at the same time, a lot of world building happens. Yeah, world building for specifically like the interior of Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Whereas before we've seen, you know, the castle outside, all that, what it takes to get there. But now we actually get to see inside of the seemingly much larger, even larger than it looks like from the outside castle, where it's just a huge place. We start with um, the door to the castle opening. Professor McGonagall greets all the students. And it, it's funny because um, when we first meet McGonagall, in chapter one we see a different side of her we see her as a bit more vulnerable a bit more curious she's talking with her peers so she's um kind of more not jokey because it was during a tragedy but like she seems like a real person Mm -hmm. whereas when you meet her again at hogwarts you know 11 years later she's presented as this like very stone cold you know blank face person that won't put up with anything so this is the first time that we've been reunited with a character no it's not how hagrid Mm -hmm. was but so this is the second person now that we're meeting from uh, chapter one, and we're seeing her in this new light. So what happens when they walk into the hall? Well, I, one thing I wanted to talk about before they even enter the hall, they're like pulled off into this little ante room area. And like, so all these little first years, little 11 year olds are all squished together. <laughs> and McGonagall gives them this sort of interesting um, speech about how like, you're going to get sorted. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, like, Harry's stomach, like, drops out when he hears that, like, wait, I already have to <laughs> do a test? Are you kidding me? I don't know anything. Yeah, yeah, on the first and day. And then, um, so, like, cue all the self-doubt. And then, uh, and then McGonagall, McGonagall gives this, uh, really neutral, uh, I, I sort of marked it as, like, a, like, the nightly news pitch of all of the houses. And she sort of, like, says, like, yeah. they're all prestigious. You know, that's that's where you'll be. That's that's how you'll figure out what part of that castle you'll be living in and who you'll go to classes with all the time. So, but they've all produced great wizards. And so it's sort of this, uh, after all of the things that we've heard about, you know, not a single... There's not a single wizard who went bad who wasn't from Slytherin. That's what Hagrid says. And all this, like, stuff about Slytherin. And there's McGonagall right off the bat sort of being like, no, they all produce great wizards, so you're just going to get sorted. So, And a lot of them come in with preconceptions from their siblings or people that they've talked to where I'm sure there's people who would dread being, not, not even just Harry Potter, mm-hmm. but just, like, other people who would dread being put in a house that wouldn't align with their social class, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, you know? And that's sort of what... Um, it seems like McGonagall is sorting, sort of trying to battle with that, like, they're all good, everyone chill out. But she doesn't actually bother to tell them how they're going to be sorted. And so Harry's sitting here like, 
coming up with all these wild ideas of what it's going to be of like they're going to quiz me about what's in the books or I'm going to have to do some magic or I'm going to have to pull a rabbit out of a hat well I don't know what I'm going to have yeah, to do yeah and it's just another example of Hogwarts just completely failing to explain the anything <laughs> yeah it's like wouldn't it be great to know it's like we're going to have you put on a hat it will sort you like that's all she, she needed to say one sentence mm-hmm. that's it and it would have like made this entire chunk of the chapter unnecessary <laughs> But of course, the, the the young boy's anxiety is... I mean, even if she'd mm-hmm. said that, he probably would have still been anxious. And I mean, based on everything that oh, we've yeah. seen from yeah. Harry, he probably would have been like, oh my gosh, what if it mm-hmm. sits on my head? And it just... Nothing happens. And then McGonagall rips it off and says, there's been a mistake. <laughs> like, ooh, awkward. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they don't tell him anything about the sorting hat. Of course, Ron's brothers filled his head with all these ideas of having to fight a cave troll having to do all these it's things it's gonna hurt um <laughs> it's gonna hurt it's gonna hurt a lot <laughs> so you can see why they'd be a bit anxious mm-hmm. uh so harry potter is in line but his last name starts with a p so there's a bunch of people before him mm-hmm. and they're all getting sorted and um for the most part it seems pretty even and the sorting hat doesn't really say much besides their house name which when i was reading i was kind of worried that um and maybe this is because of, like the little clips that i've seen from the uh from the movie movie yeah i thought the sorting hat was gonna like start talking its reasoning and like saying it out loud and i'm like man that would be so annoying if you were standing in line this for the ceremony and the whole time like for every single person you had to listen to its little quips about like oh well that's very interesting oh ha, ha, ha. like that would be the worst ceremony ever, and I just would not care about that at all. So I'm really glad that the Sorting Hat just says, like, the house name, and that's about it. Or what a huge invasion of privacy. if Because I, I, I always was sort of yeah, uncomfortable right? with the with the film adaptation of that because, I mean, it's, it's just really hard. It's really hard to show uh, thoughts on, on the screen. And so, I, and I think that they yeah, were going yeah. for a sort of, um, a certain aesthetic, and so then it had the, like mouth rip open which is totally and that's canon that's in the book but, yeah that's um, canon yeah but the way that it talks and then the way that it talks to the person with the hat on is very different and they didn't yeah. either didn't bother to find a way to do it or they didn't feel that it would make sense to have the two it'd be kind of hard to show i don't know for various reasons but yeah I, it makes sense I, I, I would probably do it about the same way i always struggled with the film adaptation of the sorting hat because it just doesn't it doesn't it also uh it just sort of broadcasts what your identity is and like harry who's sitting there going not slytherin not slytherin and then the hat's saying not slytherin like that's like putting a target on his back for slytherin exactly (laughs) where slytherin's like wait what what do you mean not slytherin of course all right you are now our arch nemesis we've thanks sorting hat you figured it out for us (laughs) like (laughs) I, I feel like there's nothing you could do to convince the sorting hat otherwise. Like, I, I think it, it makes up its mind. And, like, sure, it'll appreciate your input. Um, I On that note, though, um, I hope this isn't a spoiler or anything. I don't think it is. I think you have enough of an understanding of Ron and Hermione right now. Ron there's, there, Weasley. There's a great... Exactly. <laughs> there's, there's a great... Um, headcanon i read on online that i absolutely love mm-hmm. and i completely believe it after i read it and it's that um gryffindor's bravery right so mm-hmm. uh harry the the sorting hat uh made harry choose between slytherin or gryffindor and harry chose 
not the other one. And so he had brave, he was brave enough to, to turn away from this, the recommendation. And so the headcanon is that the same thing happened for Hermione, who was like straight up book Would learning Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw. And the same thing happened for yeah, Ron, yeah. who is straight up book learning or, or straight up uh, loyalty Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff that all of them yeah. had to choose. And like, that's the actual test for Gryffindors is you have to choose. Oh, very interesting. And I, I yeah. read that and I was like, yes, that feels right. Because no one would look at Harry and think absolutely Gryffindor. Or, or, or excuse yeah, me, no absolutely way. Slytherin. That's what I meant. Um, no, if anything, like I could see him as certainly as a Ravenclaw, maybe a Hufflepuff. Yeah, he, I mean, he um, could fit but... anywhere, but to just so confidently, he he's, hasn't really struck me as 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 a, a ambitious and cunning as Slytherins are supposed to be. Um, he's cunning. He's, but... He has those qualities, but they're not the strongest ones, I don't think. And so I think that's what the Gryffindor test actually is. That's that's a headcanon, and I'm all... I, I all might adapt it. that headcanon. <laughs> yeah, I, like it. I love it. I read it, and I was like, yes, I don't, it all makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So on to, the, on to the Great Hall, then. Uh, after being sorted, so Harry is sorted into <clears throat> Gryffindor. The Weasley twins are like, yeah, and there's all this cheering, super, super loud, yeah, <laughs> and then uh, they're all sitting on the table or at the tables, and uh, wait, are they led into the Great Hall? No, the sorting hat happens in the Great yeah, Hall, so, right? With yeah, all the candles so they, floating. They're uh, walked like down the middle of the hall, and like everyone's looking at them, and they're walked all the way up to the front, and then there's the so- the stool with the sorting hat, and they're all lined up there, oh, okay. and it sorts yeah. them in front of everyone, which. Talk about nerve-wracking. <laughs> yeah, totally. Ooh. <laughs> oh, there was a quote, uh, and this is... I have a hunch this might be one of your favorite quotes, too. Um, but let's see. When the Sorting Hat listed off like the qualities for each people, for each person, Harry Potter himself is like, ah, I'm not really any of those right now. And it said, if only the hat had mentioned a house for people who felt a bit queasy, that would have been the one for him. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yes. That's so funny. So they're in the Great Hall, and uh, out comes, well, Dumbledore sitting at the table, and he stands up, and he's like, oh, I'd like to say a few words. And this is some Scott Adams stuff right here, like, <laughs> very much that, like, Nitwit. English Lover, humor. Tweak. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, all right, enjoy your food. He just says these random words. And I'm like, all right, buddy, this one's for you. I love that fact about Dumbledore, who's just like, eh. Food first. <laughs> he's he's very much a like yeah. Food first. Culinary. Uh, he's he's great appreciation for good food as we've seen. He's like Mister mm-hmm. Sherbet Lemon and like all the little <laughs> like I'm gonna just whip out a treat when we should be talking about important things. We're gonna we're gonna do food yeah yeah. Instead. I'm just gonna <laughs> play with these candies for a little bit. So totally. It fits. And we we see in this chapter that. Um, jk rowling takes a note from like brian jockey's shock brian shock or whatever of redwall uh but she seems very interested in food and writing about food and that seems to be a common thing for authors to be drawn to especially in fantasy novels because you can get so descriptive with it and you can really put them in that place and i feel like she did a good job of doing that um without spending too much time on it either yeah yeah it didn't become this thing she listed stuff but she let a lot of the imagination just kind of fill in um which i appreciated because who doesn't like a good feast scene in a red wall novel or a lord of the rings novel or whatever but like it 
it shouldn't take three pages. Mm-hmm. It really shouldn't. Well, and this was, I remember this being so much fun to read as a kid, but there were so many things that, like, I could picture, but were way mm-hmm. off, actually, because they were, like, foreign foods that I didn't know. Like, what's a pasty? Yeah. And, like, I don't know what Yeah, a, and you hear, like, pudding, and you're like, hmm, is. pudding. What's a peppermint humbug? <laughs> like, that's... Yeah. It's, it's just a peppermint. That's all it is. But oh, really? It's, I haven't Googled that yet. It's, uh, a peppermint humbug is like, you know how they're like round striped yeah, peppermints? Yeah, with the swirl. Um, it's not yeah. round. It's like sort of squarish, but it's the same thing. It's, it's all Interesting. It I wonder how it's made. I'll, uh, I'll look into yeah. that after the show. Anyway. But that's very interesting. Yeah, more you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... They eat, they eat, and they eat, and then the dessert course comes, and that's equally decadent, mm-hmm. and uh, it's the first time Harry Potter's really been able to eat without having to, like, guard his plate or... Um, fight for it. Lose yeah. all of the... Th- yeah, fight for it. Exactly. So he pigs out, and he really enjoys it, and I thought they were going to talk about, like, how sick he got or whatever, but they didn't. Like, yeah, he was he was very tired, but they didn't... They didn't make him suffer for his first feast, which I appreciate. It is nice that uh, he just got to enjoy it, and it, it, there wasn't any um, sort of uh, downer moment to it, which was... Yeah, they let him have his moment, Harry deserves nice. that. He, he should have he does. A, he really a does. feast at one point in his life. <laughs> <laughs> and then after the feast, Dumbledore actually does... Is it after the feast that he makes them sing? Yes, he does. He very much does. <laughs> man oh good stuff good stuff i i think this is like dumbledore's big cheesy thing that dumbledore loves the crap out of but the other <laughs> teachers are just like rolling their eyes and they're like why dumbledore <laughs> and i love the descriptions around that especially because you know he's like pick your favorite tune and we'll sing and and he directs the whole thing with his wand he's like actually playing conductor and and then it ends and he just has like a tear in his eye I, I loved that scene, and I don't know if they did it in the movie or not, because I, I think time-wise it might not be the best investment, but... Um... I'm trying to remember. I think they do in the movie. Um, and that was back when Richard Harris was Dumbledore, not... Um... Huh? No, I'm forgetting. Yeah. He was a great Dumbledore. Yeah. He was really great. He was. <laughs> from, the, from the stills I've seen, from what I've seen, very good Dumbledore. <laughs> Uh, but it's nice that they just hammered in that Dumbledore's personality. He is he is a playful person. Mm-hmm. He does not want to be, again, he does not want to be like this crazy politician making all these decisions and stuff. He just really is passionate about the students and about mm-hmm. the school, and he is in the right place for what he is doing. And this, him singing the school song just makes that so evident of his loyalties and his interests and what makes him happy. <laughs> and it turns out he's a big music fan. Yeah. Uh, though he did say... There's this quote, and I feel like if we don't mention it, people are going to mention it for us, which is fine. It's a good quote, but he says, Ah, music, wiping his eyes, a magic beyond all we do here. And now bedtime, off you trot. So he says, a magic beyond all we do here, when referring to music. And um, That's that's my favorite line from the, from the yeah, chapter. I thought it might be. It's I thought it might be. Shocking, I know, the, the music. So person. what does that what does that do for you? Like, uh, walk me through that. What that line? I I love yeah. that. Um, it's so true that like there's there's, it's it's sort of the same feeling that I got in school when I was studying all of the important things that I had to study like, 
Mm-hmm. And then there was this underlying like, yes, but there's music. And this music thing that I'm doing in so many ways is is more important than everything else that I'm doing because it's teaching me how to evoke. It's teaching me how to connect with others. It's teaching me how to think more broadly. It's teaching me how to listen. And like, mm. there's so many other things about music. And so that that that's the same feeling that I got when I was in school and I was learning music was that that's a magic beyond everything else that I do. Well, and come to think of it, it when it comes to music, uh, we had the perfect opportunity to see kind of like wizard instruments when we were at the, uh, the bar when they went to, oh boy, what is the name of the bar that he went to with Hagrid? Oh, the Leaky gonna, Cauldron. The Leaky Cauldron, yeah. <laughs> so in my mind, when they first walked into the Le- Leaky Cauldron, I was expecting Cantina scene from Star Wars, where it's like, oh, mm-hmm. there's all these rough and tumble people, and then you have people playing these weird instruments, right? And come to think of it, they didn't do that. None of that. Yeah. It's it's very English. <laughs> <laughs> music it's, it's sort of sort of just like a, a a dark hole in the wall pub that's not not very loud and hmm. kind of dim lighting and quiet yeah it just it's a very english feeling pub to me interesting <laughs> so yeah the chapter ends with them trying to trying to get back to their rooms and then they find out a bit about uh this castle and how many weird characters there are in the castle and how there's there's paintings and uh, there's the main thing that they run into is um the spirit that starts peeves yeah peeves who's a poltergeist and he starts dropping sticks and stuff mostly on neville longbottom which is hilarious because i know enough about neville longbottom to know that he is constantly just being dumped on in this book and i'm so okay with that uh (laughs) (laughs) especially because i know that he in the end he neville longbottoms out of it (laughs) <laughs> have you been have you seen the whole like meme with Longbottom? oh yeah oh yeah yeah there's oh yeah so it's uh I, I know there's a happy ending for this guy so i just uh totally don't mind seeing him get some sticks dropped on him uh but we see yeah this this peeves guy and it turns out that peeves only reports to one guy and it's the slytherin uh head ghost if you will bloody baron bloody baron which is interesting because we're learning about the hierarchy of these ghosts and who reports to who and uh, it's kind of weird because it's like no you think the living and the people you think Dumbledore would have reign over Peeves you'd think McGonagall would have reign over Peeves but for some reason they don't say that they say that like nope it's it's the bloody Baron he's the guy um, and we also learn about uh, nearly headless Nick who is Near, nearly, headless. nearly headless, who really did not appreciate the fact that people jumped to that right away. He was trying to dodge that so hard, and Ron just ruined it Every year's a new year. Maybe this one's the Maybe year this that one's I the year can where I avoid don't... the nickname. Uh, oh. The hard part is, man, you just have to get your, rid of like all the years at once, because you know, mm-hmm. as long as the new people don't hear about it from the older generation, you might be good. Tricky, yeah. though. Very tricky. <laughs> Oh, and I love, um, I, I love the moment when, uh, he, he's talking about the Bloody Baron across the way and, mm-hmm. and Malfoy is sitting across the, from the Bloody Baron and like, how, so how do you get so bloody? And there's this great line from Nearly Headless Nick that's like, like, uh. It's like I never thought to ask I've, or something. I never asked, said Nearly Headless Nick, delicately. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that, like. I like, never asked. You hmm. children have no 
no understanding of social cues. I've never asked. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you don't just ask about these things. Come on. No, you don't ask how a ghost got bloody. <laughs> like, <laughs> Even if he's a bear. Uh, uh, and I did like, uh, I guess this kind of starts going into chapter eight where they come out of their rooms and they start finding their classes and stuff. But we learn about uh, the paintings and how the paintings are alive, much like the the sorting cards, uh, the collectible cards and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they can even move portrait to portrait to portrait and talk to each other. And they have their own little, their own little universe with their own drama and stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. um, do we, I just want to talk about one last thing yeah, in yeah. this chapter. And it. that's um, poor Neville, who we, 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 t- we learn a little bit about what it's like to grow up in a magical family. Oh and yeah. When you haven't really shown magic yet and and we hear that he uh that his what was was it his uncle or his grandpa i thought it was his grandpa um, well his where, uncle uh, great uncle maybe let me let me look yeah it's and and so they, they dangled him out of an upstairs window and like dropped him yeah in hopes and... that he would show some magic and thank goodness he bounced and it's like oh my gosh what if he hadn't you dangled him i think upside down when you say dangle yeah yeah. (laughs) dangled is by the feet for sure yeah and so you dropped him on his head down i don't know how many stories necessarily and just enough (laughs) the side of a mountain (laughs) like that's horrifying and so i don't know Uh. you, you i have to wonder a little bit if he had sort of shown it and um didn't really have the confidence to believe it. And so that was yeah. the family had all seen the evidence, but they were like, no, we need this kid to believe it. And that's the only way that we have to, we, that we know uh, how to make it happen. I certainly hope so. You certainly <laughs> hope that they had an Seriously. idea. Cause otherwise that's like, we're completely writing him off. If he doesn't have magic, like we're going to give this kid brain damage because he's just worthless. If he's not yeah, magical or at least traumatize the poor kid. I mean, talk <sighs> about therapy, but that's a really good point to bring up because with the whole Neville Longbottom situation, what we see is the exact opposite of Harry Potter with the Dursleys. The exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Whereas they, every sign that they saw that he might have something, they would they would shove it down and they'd be like, no, none of that weird stuff. Not like they would try and push it as far away as possible. But here they're doing the exact opposite, where any sign of normalcy that they see, they're trying to push away. <laughs> so it says that when. Uh, neville's grandfather dropped him it says he dropped him because he was dangling him out a window but then he got distracted by uh something that uh his grandma like offered him a treat or something like that and he was distracted so he went and he grabbed the treat dropped oh neville. yeah when my great do you aunt, think he my uh, great auntie enid offered him a meringue and he accidentally let go yeah i mean i this is all this is all filtered through neville and so i don't know mm. how much we can trust it like he was a scared kid I'm just trying to decide if this would be first or second degree murder. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Manslaughter, like. (laughs) See, and I'm I'm so like, yeah, it's it's either manslaughter or, um, I mean, yeah, I guess it it could be really intentional. Like, I don't care anymore. Or it could be more on the demure side of like, parents holding the kid's bike as he's learning the first time without training wheels and. And like, I don't the think the court of knows, law would see it that way. The parent knows <laughs> that this kid can handle it. I don't know. Hmm. And like, we don't know what what was under him. Maybe they did. Like, they're all magical. Maybe they could have like frozen oh. him or something, or healed him because 
magic. That's a good point. Is, That's a yeah, good point. I don't know, but either way. They may way. have had safety precautions in place. Either way, it's traumatizing, and that's awful, and I feel very bad for Neville. <laughs> like, Poor kid. Oh, uh, man. It is cute, though, that we see where he got his uh, his toad. Mm-hmm. They were so happy that they got him a toad. I'm like, oh, I, I still wouldn't want a toad, but it's like, endearing. Weird, <laughs> weird pet choice, like, not among the approved at Hogwarts, either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Birds, mm-hmm. cats, or rats. Owls, cats, or rats. But it was bought for him, so yeah. that makes me feel a little bit better about it. Yeah. <clears throat> so, okay. on to chapter eight. Yeah. Uh, what do we have for chapter eight? What's that about? All right. Chapter eight is the potions master. And so, in this chapter, Harry starts class and figures out that the school is a maze and that magic is a lot harder than he thought it would be. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, uh, when Harry goes into potions... Snake singles him out, and uh, Harry deems that as the worst part of his week. And then after that, Harry and Ron go to visit Hagrid, and uh, through conversation and reading a a clipping from the Daily Prophet on the Gringotts break-in, he begins to wonder how much Hagrid knows that he isn't Mm -hmm. letting on, particularly about the vault that was broken into that he learns was on his birthday. So it was the same day that they were there. It was the same day. What? (laughs) What? (laughs) Craziness. So The chapter pretty much starts off with Harry and Ron leaving their room and getting ready to go to classes and stuff. Right? Yep. Yep. And dodging all the, like, people doing laps around the halls to, like, get a second look at Harry, which is super weird. And, like, yeah. Yeah, right? People being like, oh, I forgot my keys. Oh, I forgot my wallet. Better go back. Oh, that's ah. uncomfortable. Oh, I missed my ah. classroom. Gotta go back. Oh, oopsie. <laughs> and then the poor guy's just trying to get to class, but then you, you see stuff like disappearing doors or walls pretending to be doors, which I think is hilarious. Yep. That the walls themselves have a sense of humor. It's great. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering when I was reading through this, because like there are 142 different kinds of staircases in one mm-hmm. castle. And, and all of these different, like, there are tricks on all of them. And I wonder it, how much of that was, like, created by the founders and created by headmasters as they've gone through. And how much of it is, like, like wayward student spells that, like, couldn't be caught track of, kept oh, track totally. of. Oh, totally. I think like, it's a little column A, a little column B. Yeah, sure. like, like, oops, there was that at one point that stair was cursed and now it just like isn't there anymore. <laughs> and like, oops, at one point that whole staircase was cursed and now it like, who knows where it leads. It changes every day. <laughs> like, <laughs> So this kind of feeds into a, a theory that I have about Hogwarts that I don't think it will ever be explained in the book. But um, I'd be curious to know. Whereas who is the person really behind hogwarts the building where it's like i know that there's the caretaker we meet mr filch a little bit later so i i know that there's a caretaker but what magics are powering like the floating candles the all the stuff that kind of makes it go i i can't help but feel like that has to be like a power source and i don't know if there's like a specific core of power that they're all drawing from or if each one is drawing from a specific enchantment but in my mind Again, not knowing much about this universe, but it's not like you can just cast a spell and that spell goes on indefinitely forever, right? Like, isn't there some level of, like, focus that you have to maintain or some sort of energy that has to be drawn from something? 
and maybe that's just because like i know enough about D D where it's like yeah certain spells need to be cast but the focus can be broken so it's like is there one thing that's powering all of these moving stairwells all of these candles is it a person is it a thing that seems like uh something i would really love to know and i hope that either they tell us or at least that the explanation that they give is pleasing enough because there are so many different things here and i would just love to hear how it all kind of ties together is there mm. something you're not telling me Alyssa? there's there are some things there's some you're looking things off into the distance um but i don't really remember all of them so i, I don't there are some hmm. things that i think we may never know um and there are other things that yeah. i think you will i sort of um i sort of think that I, I wouldn't put it past Dumbledore to just like on his winter or summer break to just like wander the halls of Hogwarts and just be like, let's do this this year. Let's do this this year. And like, I could totally see that. He's like every other Friday things. And like, Hmm, I don't like where this is on Tuesdays. I need to get from here to here much faster. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. move this for my benefit or something. <laughs> and this gives us such a great glimpse into the whimsy of wizardry and the whimsy of all these things where, yeah, of course. I'm sure all of these curses and stuff are solvable problems. Like, I'm sure Dumbledore has strong enough magic that he could figure out the source of why the stair is disappearing, and he probably could fix it. But, like, why... Who's it hurting? You know, it's just kind of fun. It adds to the charm of everything. And I can't imagine having to go to class and have to go through that many steps. Mm-hmm. But... And it makes me wonder about the greater wizard world, where it's like, okay, to get back to Diagon Alley the magic way how many steps do they have to go through for that? And like Hagrid is like, oh, all this subway stuff is super inconvenient. But like at the same time, all this stuff sounds incredibly inconvenient. Like Mm -hmm. how do people actually navigate this? And especially like someone who has a bad memory or is disabled or something. It's like the entire world is a labyrinth. And I, I just, I made the note with all those steps. It's like, well, this, Hogwarts is definitely not handicap accessible. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you need to be completely uh, able-bodied to get through it. And, you know, maybe there are magical ways to address certain uh, physical handicaps or physical disabilities. But it, it uh, I, I was just reading through it and I was like, man, you are out of luck if, <laughs> if you're... You know, a muggle who was born paralyzed or something, but also magical. Yeah, yeah. And how are you going to get through Hogwarts? <laughs> like, I guess a lot of Leviosa spells. A whole I don't know. Lot of them. <laughs> it's weird though. And what kind of weirded me out was okay, some of the doors needed to be tickled in the right place, or like you had to be polite with them. That's something like, how do we even discover this? Like, you encounter a door, and like, where do we even start? <laughs> like, if you could touch it or talk to it or just walk through it or it's not a door how long does it take and it sounds like nearly headless nick was around to kind of help people out but man i i just this totally puts me in a world of harry just like being so confused and so it doesn't seem like he complains about it and they never talk about the shortages or sorry the the obstacles they never really talk about in negative sense but man i would be so frustrated i (sighs) i think uh the way Harry and Ron dealt with it would it was probably just like whatever we'll figure it out, and they kind of don't really care if they're in class necessarily. Like they're not, 
overwhelmingly uh, excellent students, as we mm-hmm. learn. Like, I mean, Harry spent the whole last month reading his books, but he doesn't remember a lot of it. Yeah, Ron no. thought that a weird spell was that that's a not a spell was a spell. So neither of them are yeah. like outstanding students. And, it's true. And I wonder if uh, I I sort of uh, question their work ethic, and so I feel like. For them, going through Hogwarts in some ways, like physically going through the halls, is a learning experience, and they're probably learning things about their world that way. Hmm. And so yeah. it's beneficial for them and for like the Hermiones of the world. Like she would be all over. Like I know these ten people are gonna tell me the truth about what the best way to get from here to here is, yep. and I'm gonna yep. like like get up get close with them and figure out who they are. Like she and Percy were probably like tight day one because. <laughs> prefect percy but because he is a uh, he's a weasley he probably rigged some of those stairways to make it more convenient for him to get to class on time like because he's he's probably behind some of those little tricks oh because he's a prefect or because or or you think because he's one of the weasley well yeah and it even says when we're introduced to mr filch it says that you know he knows the tunnels better than anyone except for maybe the weasley brothers which is interesting like You'd think he would know it better than anyone bar none, but this is kind of one of the first times that the author introduces us to the Weasling brothers as powerful, in a way. Like you said, to use that term powerful, it's like they know a lot about this place, and they probably have influence on the students, but they also just, you know, are not afraid to explore things. Especially, Hagrid mentions it later in the chapter, he says, I probably spent half my life just chasing those guys out of the forest. Mm-hmm. Uh and they're not... So in this chapter, it's really solidified that those brothers are important characters. And yes, they're young, but like, do not take them for granted. They are not, they are not the, just the comedians. They are not the comic relief. They are powerful figures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not, uh, th- they're not unintelligent jokesters. They're very quick. And they're, they're yeah, they, I, I think we get the sense there that like, yeah, they're people who keep running out into the dangerous forest, but like... They're still alive after being running in and out of the yeah. The they forest, made it. Which they're fine. I don't. I don't think that that's a pretty regular occurrence. I think they're, it's forbidden for a reason. <laughs> yeah. So. So yeah. what do you think about like the forbidden corridors and stuff like that? Why are they even? I can't help but feel if that's some sort of test because okay, it's forbidden. Why is it even visible? You know why? Why do they even tell them where it is? Why did? It, you think they would just make it just so okay students can't see it uh what what do you think i think that to a certain extent for one they just want to trust that they can say it's forbidden and just not have to deal with all the cursing and enchanting and stuff like that so like i think it's a little bit of optimism uh but i also think it is to a certain extent um to kind of see who does push the boundaries. And it's a little bit of a test where I'm sure they're really, really important stuff. They have stowed away curses, bewitches, whatever put on it so people can't see it. Like, I'm sure the really important stuff is somewhere that can't just be like, oops, open a door, wrong room, oopsie. Like, so whatever is in those rooms, I'm sure, yeah, it's stuff they'd rather you not see. But I think um, it's kind of an opportunity to see who's who the troublemakers are right off the bat by telling them where not to go and then you know you see who goes there and then you put them on a list so so you don't think that there's anything life-threatening there it that that dumbledore exaggerated it was it was bait oh oh when he says that this thing will kill you 
or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. If, if for oh, the, boy. the third floor corridor is forbidden to anyone who doesn't want to die a very painful death. <laughs> um, I believe him, but I I think that I think you're okay. Yeah, so I, I believe otherwise. him in that I don't regard, think but. You do. <laughs> well, no. I believe him, but I don't think that the big secret is in that room. I mean, it's a corridor, so it's probably like a boss battle in a video game where it's like, okay, the corridor before the big room has the guards in it, right? So it's like the whole corridor, yeah, it's sure it's dangerous, but like if you just open the door and look into the corridor, you're not going to see anything except for whatever is between you and the room at the end of the corridor. So yeah, I'm sure in the room at the end of the corridor, there's something that they don't want them to see, but I think there's probably just like guards or some kind of booby traps or something like that in the corridor itself so yes it's dangerous and yes it leads to something important but you couldn't just open the door and peep in and see it if that makes sense Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) so uh, let's talk about uh mr filch a little bit he is the uh the caretaker the caretaker there we go and he has a cat named mrs norris and the cat it's like the little uh like little sentry where it's it will follow students around and it'll report and it'll squeal back to its mr filch who apparently comes running because he comes and he's wheezing every time the cat comes and gets him (laughs) he's just like wheezing like he just ran there i what i loved about them was then later in the chapter when we get to hagrid's um harry gets a little uh a feeling of joy when when hagrid calls filch that old git yeah <laughs> and, and it's like and i got this great image of like battle of like the caretaker sort of class where you've got like the inside mm-hmm. caretaker and then you've got the groundskeeper and hagrid and i feel like they're <laughs> they're kind of on par with each other with their status yeah. but one deals more with the grounds and animals and all that and the other one very much deals with students and like peeves and like has to deal with that kind of stuff so yeah they each are in their own different kind of uh swamp area of, yeah um, same level of stress but completely different stressors yeah. for sure but i totally believe that they're like rivals <laughs> oh yeah and, and he like, probably i mean and hagrid comes in and the cat just follows him everywhere well so and we it's, see that and it's like i think also, it's a sort of interesting representation of cat people versus dog people. Because you've got Filch <laughs> and Mrs. Norris and Hagrid and, uh, oh, gosh, is it Butch? Oh, gosh, I forget his name oh, now. Boy. The dog. Oh, talk- I thought it was a boar. Boarhound. A boarhound. Fang. Boar. Hey, why Fang. did I think there Butch? Fang. <laughs> um, that's terrible. <laughs> and, hmm. But yeah, um, ha- Hagrid and like this gigantic, loving boarhound. Yeah. Thing. And then oh, Mrs. Norris, funny. this like scrawny little gray hateful creature. <laughs> and and they're like it's it's I feel like the epitome of cat cat people versus dog people, indoor versus outdoor, sort of uh domesticated versus wild and <laughs> So yeah, prediction right away, right off the bat. I wanna know if anyone has ever seen Mr. Filch and Mrs. Norris in the same place at the same time. Because I have a strange feeling, like, the way that they talked about it, with it's like the cat would run off and then Mr. Filch would come back, but he wouldn't come back with the cat circling around his legs. They don't use any of that imagery. It's just, like, the cat leaves, he comes back. So, like, is he the cat? It could be possible. And 
Sort of a McGonagall it, style. Sort of McGonagall style, yeah, where it's like, yeah, he turns into a cat and he does transfiguration. And that gives him, you know, the students don't really, you know, they'll do stuff in front of the cat that they would never do in front of him. Uh, but he is the cat, so he just has to go pull his Superman in a phone booth thing and come back. Well, and it does, it describes their eyes as like the same sort of lamp-like look. And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, they have yeah, very they... similar features. So oh, I so, can see it. I'm just going to guess that right off the bat. Filch and the cat, same people. Uh, so onto the classes that they attend. Uh, yeah. It seems like there's a lot more to being a wizard than Harry anticipated. Like they have yeah. to learn about the stars. They have to go out and look at that. There's like an herb garden with like a super. Uh, her name bothered me so much. The Professor the, Sprout. I'm like, come on. Like we get it. We get it. Okay, she's the gardener. Like fine. You just had about. Uh, it's a little heavy-handed. Yeah. <laughs> it's super heavy-handed. I'm just like Sprout. Great. That's great. Uh, but then you got Mr. F- Professor Flitwick. I love Flitwick. Flitwick. <laughs> little little Don't. short guy who falls off the pile of books when he gets to Harry's name oh. on the roll. He's yeah, like, oh. and he's just like, oh. <laughs> Harry's here. <laughs> he's adorable. I think uh, my favorite story of all of all of his professors uh, that we've met in this chapter, though, is of Professor Binns. Do you remember that? Um He's, he's the ghost don't. who teaches history of magic oh. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> who, who fell asleep in front of the fire and then just left his body to go teach and yeah he was very old indeed it. when he got up that night to go teach class and left his body behind <laughs> it's just like <laughs> wow oh, like okay. you were committed to this thing i don't uh i don't what why do you think some people are ghosts uh unfinished business i guess yeah <laughs> It's hard to say. It seems like they don't mind it. I I don't know. They all kind of have the mysteries around them where it's like nearly headless Nick. Someone tried to kill him, but they didn't finish the job. And it's like, okay, unfinished business. Why is mm-hmm. the Bloody Baron bloody? Eh, who knows? <laughs> so I think they leave like a little bit of doubt with each character where it's like, okay, there's more to this. Take mm-hmm. notes. These people will be coming back. They are characters. Don't forget about them. Uh, so we'll learn more about it so i'll just i'll just be super broad and say unfinished business yeah so professor bins's unfinished business was maybe administering the like final exam or something yeah probably yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's probably like like that sort of book learning type like that's yeah as soon as someone gets like 100 percent in his class he's just gonna off he goes yeah 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 and i thought um uh, we saw two examples of this. Of We have two very stern teachers. One is mm. McGonagall and the other is Snape. And they're yeah. radically different. But I thought they both did a really... Used a really good teaching tactic. And that was both of them in their like beginning speeches. Of like, this is what you're learning in this class. This is why it's important. They both mm-hmm. sort of explained and showed the students like this is why it's important. This is why you should pay attention to the class. We're like McGonagall's talking all stern like, and then in a sort of playful moment, transfigures mm-hmm. her desk into a pig and then back <laughs> just to like yeah. get everyone really revved up about like, Oh my gosh, I can make that happen. And like, like craziness. Yeah. It's a brilliant teaching tool. Of like, this is what you could do if you work hard mm-hmm. in my class. And like, mm-hmm. you can say it and you can talk about it all you want, but it's not really going to show it. And then Snape does a very similar thing. Um, he does, he like goes on to say, uh, 
And that, the, well, I didn't want to spend this yet, but this is maybe one of my favorite lines. Um, mm-hmm. That I don't expect you will really understand the beauty of softly simmering, of the softly simmering cauldron with its shimmering fumes, the delicate power of liquids that creep through human veins, bewitching the mind and yeah. snaring the senses. I can teach you how to bottle fame, brew glory, even stop or death. If you aren't as big a bunch of dunderheads as I usually have to teach. <laughs> so... <laughs> And yeah. I feel like like you can't really show all those things, but the way he says it, it's like, yeah, I want to learn how to do all those things. And so, like, he sort of, even though he's this really difficult teacher to get behind, I think he starts off really well of showing you can do some really incredible things with what I'm about to teach you if you pay attention. Oh, yeah. The passion is very much there. And yeah. he, he really believes in what he's teaching. But I think it's wise. I mean, we see in some of their first few experiments, you can get really injured. You can get hurt bad. Mm-hmm. So it's probably better that he doesn't come at it with this fun, like, oh, here, but I, you know, out of this cauldron, I pulled this funny hat. No, yeah. he like started where he's like, nope, this can creep through your veins and kill you. And it's very much a thing. So it, it's good that he started on such a serious note because otherwise people wouldn't take it as seriously. Mm-hmm. But it, but it also, like, he still casts it in this really interesting... I mean, he casts it like a Slytherin would. Of, like, oh, totally. I can teach you to bottle fame and brew glory. Like, those are ambitious goals that a Slytherin oh, yeah. would get behind. And, like, also Gryffindor, like, they all... That could all... Uh, maybe a Ravenclaw, too. You could sort of pique the interest there. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's a very cunning ambitious way of being which is slytherin which is what he is so and then uh we also meet no uh, we see professor quirrell again is that his name quirrell oh yeah quirrell yeah. and he uh <laughs> is covered in garlic the whole thing smells he has this giant turban on uh and, he's, this, and everyone's just he, disappointed they're disappointed in his class because he like doesn't have any war stories even though he supposedly went and went Did off. all these things yeah, yeah. he won't he just answer talked any about questions. the weather <laughs> yeah what a it's super teacher. sketchy <laughs> and i think i think parts of his character have been spoiled for me by like what i've seen in pop culture and stuff like that where it's like i i think i know what the turban is and stuff i'm not gonna say it now but i i think i understand what's going on there and that that's going to be like a major component of the books and that you know things are going to be revealed and it's a whole lot more than just vampires and zombies so i'm just going to tell you right off the bat i i think i know what that's getting at but i'm going to enjoy it for what it is right now and (laughs) what it is is this funny guy with this turban that has garlic stuffed in it so he's just paranoid and he has ptsd and as sad as it is it's kind of hilarious too yeah and like how unfortunate when, like, Harry said that, uh, like, it says that that's the class they were all looking forward to. So there was mm-hmm. something that they heard about maybe Professor Quirrell's teaching or previous teachers or something. Plus just that, the name of it, Defense Against the Dark Arts. Yeah, I would be totally hyped about that. You kidding me? Like, me, I, I think I would be all about charms, but, like, that's me. Okay. <laughs> says you're charming. You're very charming. That's Yeah, well, and I, yeah. I don't want to go on the, like, on the warpath ever. Um, I just want to make things <laughs> that, that help the world, and I feel like charms are kind of more in that area. But, um, totally. Uh, so, like, Defense Against the Dark Arts, yeah, I'd be, I'd be interested in it, but I, it wouldn't 
help me if I were in that situation pursue my own profession necessarily. But okay. you can see what Harry's inclination is right off the bat, where like he was most excited for this thing. He's excited about defending himself against the dark arts. Maybe because of what he has yeah, encountered makes in sense. the world. Like, yeah. <laughs> Apparently he's a natural. So He's a natural at it. His parents were killed by someone who practiced the dark arts. And then he's got everyone around him like, sort of mysteriously talking about this you-know-who who they're all afraid to say the name. And so he's mm-hmm, probably mm-hmm. just naturally like starting to feel on guard against this nebulous dark arts. So yeah. Makes sense that he'd be excited about that. And then what a bummer. When it appears he's never going to learn anything from the person who was only going to talk about the weather. <laughs> yep. Uh. And throughout all of these classes, we, of course, see Hermione just sticking her hand up in the air as high as she can, answering all the questions, going on about everything she knows. And most professors are happy with it. Like, the transfigure McGonagall is, like, great. She's like, yeah, you're my Gryffindor. Yes. <laughs> You are my she, little Gryffindor. She gave her a rare smile, and mm-hmm. I, I just love that. But uh, what I was uh, thinking when I was watching, when I was reading all of those scenes with Hermione, and I was picturing it, was the situation that Harry gets into in Potions, where Snape mm-hmm. is going after him. I just can't, won't let it go. Yeah, I he can't, can't win. help but think that... Hermione was sort of trying to brace against that. She was expecting her acceptance to be that way because she's this muggle-born. And so rather than walking in blindly and letting who knows who pick on her, tear tear her down, convince her that she doesn't belong, she's going to prove that she belongs. And we, I mean, we've already seen that on the train, but I think here it is again Mm -hmm. with all of her, like, pick me, I want to do it. There's partly, like, there's some bravery there when you're standing yeah, up in totally. your seat trying to get your teacher teacher's attention who's yeah. clearly ignoring you and trying to pick on someone else. Like there's some maybe wanting to save the other student and Oh, totally. Eventually she was totally trying to save him. By the maybe, third answer, like sure, yes, it was her knowing, but it was also her being like, Hey, let's let's redirect some focus like, here. Yeah. I mean it's it's it takes a lot for one kid to do that and I don't think it's mm-hmm. always self-serving and i don't think in her case it was yeah. either but i do it think made her the butt of the joke too like yeah. it made her something that everyone is like oh yeah hermione obviously we all see it and harry even kind of you know it, he wasn't making fun of her like he was totally just trying to like kind of shift the focus elsewhere but it also everyone kind of laughed at it too mm-hmm. where it's like okay we get it hermione we get it we you all know, see you we don't it's not yeah <laughs> it's like we clearly 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 see you it's not about that i totally think though that that the reason she knows so much about this world and the reason that she studied it so much isn't just that she is wildly curious and a good student but it's also a defense mechanism so that she would she wouldn't fall prey in that way to bullies peers or teachers like and and so then to see her like trying so hard and realizing like man harry if you just like remembered that you you had nothing mm-hmm. to do for a month except for read your books how yeah, do you not like you remember could have avoided anything this entirely <laughs> like, yeah i mean yeah totally you didn't know but but still how he could have he could have remembered some he, of it he something he was busy <laughs> and part of it too i i feel like if harry hadn't been there then he probably would have picked on Hermione so that was probably a good instinct on her part because she's kind of you know he probably would have seen between her and 
her uh, like friendships and stuff with Gryffindor is that she's kind of going to be one of Gryffindor's star childs. Mm-hmm. Uh, star child? Is that a thing? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's but... not. No. No. Head star students. students. There we go. Star students. There we go. Uh, so star. I think he definitely would have picked on Hermione because like he has a beef with Gryffindor. It seems like even even bef- when he first saw Harry he like scowled at Harry and Harry got the huge burning in his scar and stuff like that. So I think it's clear that, yeah, Snape obviously really doesn't like Harry for whatever reason, but I think he also doesn't like Gryffindor. There seems to be some kind of rivalry there. I, uh, I sort of wondered at that because I think, I think Harry framed it and the Weasleys framed it as Snape doesn't like Gryffindor and he favors Slytherin. But Mm -hmm. I was, as I was Mm -hmm. reading through, I didn't, really see a ton of him favoring Slytherin over Gryffindor. I saw him hmm. favoring Malfoy. Yeah, he but, favored Malfoy. But, but Malfoy he does was dock the... Gryffindor points, though. He does. Unfairly. But, um, yeah, yeah. But it is, it's, a, it's a spot analysis. It's only one class. That's true. So, yeah. like, I, I mean, clearly Neville screwed something up there. Clearly. Had to oh, that was big, yeah. Um, yeah, and so Which, but as I as hope I it's was... a clearer path to get the hospital wing. I, I hope they don't have to be like tickling the doors just to get his gurney. Like, can you imagine? They're like, yeah, no, we we need to get you immediate treatment, but apparently we're not being polite. We need you to go door. into this dumb waiter, go up four flights, and then drop down another two, jump, m- make sure to not step on the vanishing step. And then... Oh, but wait, it's a Tuesday. Dang it! No, 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 no. We have to go the other way. Uh... <laughs> So many people have died trying to get to the hospital wing. Oh, so many man. avoidable deaths. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, culling of the week. That's all it is. <laughs> so anyway, um, what, what we did see was we saw Snape favoring Malfoy. And mm. I, when I was looking at that, I, I was thinking, well, why isn't he like praising Crab or Goyle? Well, maybe they're not as great of students as Malfoy. Like Clearly Malfoy's got a handle for this in some ways. And then I wondered... Thing, right? Um, maybe he's not praising Malfoy because, because he's Slytherin. Yes, he is Slytherin and that's probably Mm -hmm. contributing to it, but Malfoy is pure blood. Um, and I had to, I had to wonder, um, did he have some sort of like early, like, like essentially pre-Hogwarts preschool education of like lots of magical education before oh, that, yeah. that Ron missed so. out on. Like so he had like some sort of prep advanced education and so when he's coming in he's not learning from scratch like everyone else seems to be. And so I I sort of uh, just based on the evidence that's in this one chapter, I'm not sure it's fair to say that Snape favors oh, yeah. Slytherin. I think he but favors I could totally see. excellent an excellent student who is also not uh, gloating and standing up in their chair trying to direct the teacher's attention elsewhere because Hermione is also doing a good job, but she's doing it in kind of a brown nosery uh, attention-grabbing way that Malfoy didn't appear to be doing. Yeah, and it's in a way that you can't really reward. You know, you can't just just give the question to the person with the answer. You know, the whole point of asking questions is to to challenge people and make them think, you know? Mm But if you always give it to the person that always has the answer and they're really annoying about it, that's no fun for anyone. Mm-hmm. Nobody learns from that. And so, like, yeah, it's the first class, and so you don't necessarily know who those people are. But 
It's very clearly going to be Hermione. So, like, oh, yeah, like, totally. We don't need to but feed I that. <laughs> I wouldn't even be surprised, though, if, if Draco and Snape had met at some point. I mean, if his parents are as important as they are, like, who's to say they haven't had Snape over for dinner, you know, or they haven't been at some kind of fundraising events and they brought, you know, the little guy along? It's possible Snape has known him yeah. for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and Snape is his head of house, so... Um, so mm-hmm. Snape is the head of Slytherin, so he's already probably aware of who his students are because it's the end of the week then. So he's probably met yeah, most of yeah. them and tried to form a connection there too. So I, I just I think there's that all of that analysis of Snape's uh, bias it may mm-hmm. pay off later, but in this one chapter, it's it's pretty. I, I feel like, like one, it's one fed. It's point. fed to us, so we're supposed to believe it. But I don't think the evidence is there. Yeah, they're kind of trying to set Snape up as the bad guy, or mm-hmm. as like a mean guy that picks on Harry Potter, and and he does. But also at the same time, it's for good reason because we saw what happened when Harry's not paying attention, you know. And like, yeah, he punished Harry for something somebody else did, but it it sent that guy to the hospital, so or hospital ward, so hospital wing. Hospital wing, not yeah. ward. So, yeah. that's all the classes. Uh, yeah. So we see, yeah. So then we get to see Harry Potter at breakfast with the all the owls flying in and they're flying around and apparently that was kind of like a scary experience the first time because why wouldn't it be? There's all these yep. owls. They're raptors. Everywhere. They're dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Which question? Does everybody have a delivery owl? Because it, I thought it said that you either have like an owl, a cat, or a rat. And Harry has an owl that drops his letters. So what about the people who didn't? Like, do they rent an owl delivery person? I'm assuming so. Um, there's, uh, like, it's referenced in the text that, uh, Hedwig lives in the owlry with all of the school owls. And so there are other... Oh, school owls. The school has owls that students can use. Um. Okay. That, I think that's fair to say. So. Okay. Cool. I, I think it's Wait, sort is of there interesting. Wait, is there something hidden about Hedwig? Is, does Hedwig become a major character? <laughs> Sorry, you're looking off into the distance again. You got me thinking. I'm like, wait a second. Is there something <laughs> with these owls? <laughs> um, one thing that I do wonder is how, mm-hmm. like, I this is never really explained, how, like, Hagrid used Hedwig. I wonder if Hagrid went all the way up to the owlry, which is is a sort of high corner of the castle. Um, if he if he went all the way up there to then give the letter to Hedwig, nah, nah. I'm to sure then there's go a... to Harry, or if there's like a way to like hone in and like call someone else's. Owl. Oh yeah, like we never. Really... There's got to be an owl whistle. I mean, owls have really such a broad that. range of hearing. Oh yeah, yeah. and if, any, the... if anyone knows that it's ha- it's Hagrid. Oh yeah, <laughs> Hagrid's got to have an owl whistle. There's no way he doesn't have an owl so, whistle, or yeah. some kind of beacon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it, um, usually I, Hedwig just comes down and nibbles on Harry's ear and takes some of his toast, which is adorable, by the way. So cute. <laughs> I'm just like, man, I want someone to just come and like nibble on my toast and nibble. Ah, so cute. <laughs> uh, but turns out it's it's Hagrid writing him a letter saying, oh, I just want to hear about your first week. Like, he's totally like the concerns, like. It's an adorable parent, parent figure moment. I it loved really that is. moment. I yeah. was like, I have gotten texts like that from my mother as a grown woman now. Of like, when yep. do you want to? Do you want to get tea sometime? I just want to hear how your week's going. And I'm like, that's, I've gotten that note. That's, that's exactly. So cute. Yep. Totally. <laughs> totally. Just haven't heard from you. Just wondering, how's it going? Yeah. yeah. Totally. And it's really cute. Uh, but but Ron decides to take along. Ron Ron was not invited. 
Nowhere did it say, let me meet one of your friends. But Hagrid sure didn't seem to mind. In fact, he offered him both cakes and tea, and uh, it was this really cute moment. And he looked at Ron, and just, like, without even learning anything, he's like, oh, yeah, you're a Weasley. Like, <laughs> strong family resemblance. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I've been chasing your brothers around. Rah, rah, rah. And then and, and he's tell me about friendly. your brother who does dragons, and they just talk oh, about yeah. dragons, which is just like, oh, perfect move. Like, bring in someone oh, who can yeah. talk about animals with Hagrid. This will be great. <laughs> Yeah, so Ron is definitely cool in Hagrid's book, even though, yeah, he's probably going to be a troublemaker like his brothers, but, like, there's... Hagrid is a troublemaker himself. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he has to chase off the troublemakers, but I I don't feel like he's... He's not, like... uh, Not Peeves. He's not like Mr. Filch in that he resents the people. I feel like he actually kind of uh, empathizes with them. Yeah, well, I mean, Hagrid was expelled, so... And and we we still don't really know how or why, but uh, you have to wonder if there's uh, some camaraderie that he sees there of people who are doing things that could get him expelled. He's he's definitely the type where he's like, get back inside before they find out you're missing. He's not just like, I'm mad at you. He's like, you gotta gotta make sure you're safe. You don't don't understand what's on the line right now. Get back inside. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So that's fun, and uh, Hagrid definitely dodges around a few subjects, like in the in the expositional newspaper that's always conveniently there. It talks more about the Gringotts break-in, which was on Harry's birthday, uh, and I, I don't think it leaves any room to question where it's like, yep, the thing that the people who broke in were looking for is definitely the thing Hagrid grabbed. Like, yep. why else would they talk around it? Like, it'd be really lame if it turns out it wasn't and it was just something completely different it's like nope nope that's exactly what Hagrid got and he got to it right before the break-in uh so they got it at a good time so uh question for you sure do you have a guess what it was oh the sorcerer's stone (laughs) it's it's the name of the book (laughs) it's gotta be yeah sorcerer's stone uh, what that is, I don't know. But so, it's, so uh, why do you think Hagrid was the one to go get it? Uh, because Dumbledore trusted him, and because uh, okay, so Sorcerer's Stone means it's magical. Uh, means that it's in my mind how I picture it is kind of like the One Ring, where it's like when it, when you're holding it, it whispers to you, and it's like, hey, wouldn't it be great if you just used my powers, right? Like, what if you just what if you just tried me out a little bit, you know, put me on. Uh, so I feel like whatever it is, it, it would try and do that. And I feel like Hagrid is someone that would not cave to that. He's too loyal. He's too uh, stubborn. And his magic's not even strong enough. Even if he he's got his Harry hands Potter on... He's a Harry Potter Frodo. Yeah, he's a <laughs> Harry Potter Frodo. And like, even even if his magic was amplified, it still wouldn't be dangerous to enough to really... He could still be outclassed by Dumbledore, even if his magic was amplified tenfold. So it's like, he's a safe bet. He's reliable. He is loyal. He is stubborn, so he's not going to listen to something that's whispering to him. And even if he does get super powerful, he's still not going to be that powerful. So that is my guess, is it's like a one ring type thing. You give it to the person that can handle it best. So um, this chapter ends with Harry literally asking these questions about yeah, the thing. Yeah, like face on. Um, yeah. It's like, you know... Did they really just get there in time to to remove it? Well, we've already uh, established that we think yes. Yes, yeah, um, so. And then, like, what was it? Harry doesn't have any idea. Where? No, but Harry where is it all. now? 
Where do you think it is, is now? now? <sighs> Probably at the end of that corridor. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, I hope it's in the basement. For heaven's sake, like it, it, <laughs> I really hope it's it's somewhere far underground, behind some cave trolls and stuff. I really hope so, or like maybe a dragon or something. But if it's just in that corridor and it's just like right there, uh, I'm gonna be a little miffed because <laughs> it's like you told them where the sorcerer's stone was and just told them like, hey, don't go there, you know. So I really hope that it's not anywhere that we've heard about previously. I hope it's an underground far away somewhere that they have to stumble upon through like a secret tunnel or something that's my hope all right yeah maybe by accident maybe on purpose but it's definitely not it's not the thing that's hidden behind the corridor if it is i'll be upset and i'll be annoyed i'm sure there's something back there that's worth knowing about but i i really hope it's not the sorcerer's stone because that'd be way heavy-handed <laughs> So then the uh, the last question that Harry asks himself before he goes to bed is, um, mm-hmm. and did Hagrid know something about Snape that he didn't want to tell Harry? So what do, do you have an idea of what Hagrid yeah. might know about Snape? And this is something, again, so I mentioned to you in the, in the pre-show that uh, this whole thing between Snape and uh, Harry Potter and stuff, it reminds me of a webcomic that I read, and it's called uh, Gunner Krig Court, G-U-N-N-E-R, k-r-i-g-g court it's in the show notes whatever but uh gunner Krig court and in that there is like a protagonist and it turns out that like a lot of her teachers knew her parents or know her parents and because of that there's like this weird thing where there's kind of like tension and they're mean to her and because they knew her parents but she didn't know that so in my mind like i kind of get it mixed up with that where it's like i can't help but think that um snape knew harry's parents and maybe he liked them maybe he didn't like them but either way i feel like every time he sees harry it's just a big reminder of what he lost and um kind of what harry represents is not a positive thing it's not a good memory but i don't think it's any kind of like i don't think he's a dark wizard though i don't think he's like harry potter's enemy i think it's just like harry potter has very negative connotations for him that's my guess. And I don't know. I don't think Snape was in on it, though. I don't think Snape was, like, trying to kill Harry Potter or, like, has it out for him in that way. But I definitely think that he would prefer not seeing him every day in the class. How yeah. Very, how very Bartleby. I'd prefer not to. Prefer <laughs> not to. You know, he's, he's not going to kick him out or anything like that. But he just, you know, he'd rather he wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's the chapter. Yeah. Um, do we, uh, we should do favorite quotes. I know I kind of read mine, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, um, what was oh, yours? I forgot to do that for chapter seven. Oh no, I, I said mine for seven. Did you say yours for chapter seven, by the way? You read mine for chapter oh, seven. The music with one. the, the music one. Oh, there we go. Ah, there music, we go. a magic beyond all we do here. And now bedtime. <sighs> Off you trot. Off you trot. <laughs> Off you trot. I think, oh boy, I don't have anything underlined. And I was kind of reading this too, and I was looking for one. And I'm like, nothing really um, struck me. I did really like Snape's description, like you said. And that reads, that's kind of a cellar door sentence where the whole thing just is very pretty. And it's very uh, well delivered. Let's see. I think probably my favorite, the one that I actually did underline, and I should have underlined the Snape one, but this is one that I did underline, is... Uh, 
Then there were the doors that wouldn't open unless you asked politely or tickled them in exactly the right place, and doors that weren't really doors at all, but solid walls just pretending. Because I think it's hilarious that a wall would take it upon itself to pretend to be a door just to mess with people. Like, I think that is hilarious. Like, that is such just a funny little uh, w- amount of whimsy. So It's, it's I like such a, a, lot. a funny personification of, of the whole of Hogwarts. I don't know. Yeah, that was that was my that was my only other one that was really in the running. It's not an overwhelmingly um neither of these were overwhelmingly pretty or sort of insightful chapters. No, they were sort of no. like world building and young kid dialogue a lot of it. And and just um and teacher dialogue and and class dialogue and it's just not really uh Yeah that that beautiful language that and like sort of fun playful language that we got at, in the first part of the book yeah but it still had a certain amount of fun things and she did a great job of not making it just reading a list of relatives and a list of accomplishments mm-hmm. and stuff and i really enjoyed it um and if you listeners have been enjoying wordstruck uh we would love it love it love it love it love it if you went to itunes and give us a review uh preferably only if you like really like it that you would give it like a four or five star review but if you don't like it you know still just like Go review it. Give us your comments. Um, anything helps. And iTunes, yeah, they do take into consideration positive reviews, like five stars. But just number, like having reviews, period, would be super helpful and super awesome for us. So, so, so that you... other people can find us. And and also yeah, exactly. we would really love any feedback of what you're enjoying listening to from us. So any uh, parts that we talk about, we would love to also like we love talking about it but we would also love to talk about things mm-hmm. that you care about so if you have any like so where oh, can they find us Alyssa? Part, so you can find us in a lot of places actually um uh, we, <laughs> we have been busy yeah <laughs> we, we have a twitter and that twitter mm-hmm. is wordstruck pod w-o-r-d-s-t-r-u-c-k-p-o-d on twitter and uh then our our podcast network secret secret weapon productions is on facebook and also on twitter which is at weaponize me which i totally love <laughs> and um mm-hmm. and then if twitter is not really your thing uh you can email us at wordstruckpodcast at gmail.com and then uh clark where can where can people just find you if they don't want to talk to oh me? <laughs> well you can find both of us just on twitter uh I am at Clark Hodges, C-L-A-R-K-H-O-D-G-E-S, and Alyssa's on Twitter as at Alyssa S. Small. Alyssa Small. Alyssa Small on Twitter. Yeah. You can also email us, like she said, at wordstruckpodcast at gmail.com. We check that. We really do. Uh, If you give us feedback, we'd love to hear it, things we could do better, things you want to hear more of. We would love to talk with you about it, or even just your favorite quotes or predictions that you have if you're reading it for the first time with us uh any any questions that you want us to grapple with anything yeah yeah seriously (laughs) and and we're not afraid to go back and talk about previous episodes it's not like you know it just goes into a void we will gladly bring it up that's fine um and even if not on the episodes we'll love to talk about with like talk about it with you on twitter or on Mm -hmm. facebook or over email so thank you so much for listening to episode four of wordstruck uh, you can find our show notes for this episode at secretweaponproductions.com slash wordstruck slash four. All right. I think that covers it. Uh, <laughs> I hope you have a great night, Alyssa. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. Thanks for reading with me.